Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Very well. It's a great week. It's been a good a good couple of weeks for the podcast. Yeah, it's been less than a week since you were in my home. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then a few more days since you knew about that as well. <laughs> Yeah, you villain. I wondered why there were little uh, sweets left everywhere. And <laughs> and that, that, wrappers. That was yeah. that was the your your worst the worst implication of someone sneaking into your house was that they'd leave little sweets around little <laughs> and, sweet wrappers, and litter yeah. and litter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where I went to. That's the kind of naive gentleman I am. And I went round taking little photographs of this trail you left me. Did you? With what did you take the photographs with, Frank? I used this retro camera that I've been very into. That's the Hawkeye folding camera. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, should we talk more about this this camera that you've got? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Listener, if you wonder why we're chuckling away, that's because we've got a player card. Thank you, FFG, from The Wages of Sin, which is the second Mythos pack in the Circle Undone cycle. And we're going to announce it to the community right now. So this is the Hawkeye folding camera. It's a Seeker card. Is this the first Seeker card we've announced? I think so. Yeah, we keep on getting Mystic cards. Yeah, they finally realised that we'll do other cards as well. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, this is a Seeker card. It's a two-cost asset, no XP, and it has a willpower icon. And if you've listened to my first look of the secret name, it seems like willpower icons are all the rage right now. Everything seems to have a willpower icon. Anyway, this is item and tool traded, and it takes up one hand slot. And it reads, reaction, after the last clue is discovered from your location, place one resource from the token pool on this card as evidence. Limit once per game at each location. While Hawkeye Folding Camera has one or more evidence, you get plus one willpower. Two or more evidence, you get plus one intellect. Three or more evidence, you get plus one sanity. Wow. The art is by Robert Lasky. It's of the camera, but you can see what the photographer is taking a photograph of, and it's a, a hanged man. Yeah, it's right. Pretty grim. It's pretty, yeah, gruesome, and maybe a little bit tarot related, right? Yeah, of course, the hanged man. So, so just to summarise, every time you discover the last clue, sorry, every time the last clue is discovered from your location, this gets it charges up one. And then you get plus one willpower, plus one intellect, plus one sanity as it gets one, two or three charges on it. And that that all stacks as well. So it's not like you lose the earlier benefits. Yeah. You'd go, okay, I've got I've got two evidence on here. So I've got plus one willpower and plus one intellect. It's nice. So it's yeah, really nice. At, at the top level, so this is two cost for an asset, which takes up a hand slot, which gives you two stat boosts and a sanity boost as well. Mm. Which I guess is better than having the soak, probably. Yeah, may maybe. I mean, this is the thing that, that really blew my mind about this card, that so far we've used to playing a card and evaluating it based off the boost it gives you immediately. So you play Peter Sylvester and you get plus one agility and you get a health and sanity soak to some degree, and that's happening immediately. Whereas if you play the Hawkeye Folding Camera and then are playing a scenario with no clues to discover from locations, yeah, 
it just is a two cost asset that does nothing. Or you get it in the in the closing turns of the game. Yeah, you can't even throw this down for soak, and you're definitely not going to get three evidence on it and get that extra sanity. So that's throwing me for a bit of a loop in terms of how we even begin to think about it. Yeah, it it, it you know what it reminds me of in a strange way is the hemispheric map, mm-hmm. which ha- its best case is really tasty, and its worst case it does nothing. And it's hard. Yep. It's it's because it's a an unusual requirement. It's so situational. It's hard to judge how often that will happen. For what it's worth, I think this is good because I think, especially if you're playing a seeker, you will be discovering the last clue on locations quite often. Mm-hmm. But I guess the issue is if you're well, here we go. So if you're in the Clover Club, yep. uh, a lot of those locations don't have any clues in the first few turns. Right, so yep. you've got some on the first location and then none on the next, the next bunch. But then yep. a couple of scenarios later, you know, you're on the Essex County Express, and you can't proceed without picking up all the clues. Three carriages in, this is fully charged up. Yeah, if you've got it. Notably, it doesn't help you clear the clues from the first two locations if you're investigating traditionally. It's only once you've cleared the first two locations that you've got to two evidence and you're getting the intellect. Yeah. So that's also, I think, where it's messing with my head because you don't drop this down and go, great, this is going to help me get all the clues. It rewards you after the fact rather than before the fact. But yeah. getting an intellect boost at some point, you know, seekers normally use their intellect throughout a scenario. So that that's still decent. Yeah, yeah. So, so what that means is it maybe combos with tools that you use up earlier in the game. So something like a fingerprint kit, which you can use to burn through mm-hmm. clues earlier on, and then you charge this up and you're just generally better from that point. Yeah, your fingerprint kits then run out of charges, but you've now powered up the Hawkeye folding camera, so then you're not you're not as worried about that boost. The other thing it made me think about, given that the willpower boost is first, is maybe in, in off-class seekers who like willpower for other things. So for Daisy, for instance... Clearing one location, that puts her willpower up to four, which then means all of her mystic-related things are charged up. You know, she's shriveling at four, things like that. I must admit, it did spring to mind instantly as a daisy card for me mm-hmm. because it more or less takes the place of something like a holy rosary. Yeah. yeah. With, with a secondary effect, once you've got two bits of evidence on it, that it also boosts her intellect, which is nice because she likes using her intellect a lot. Mm-hmm. So that puts yeah. her up to six intellect, regardless of other boosts. Yeah, it made me think of uh, fitting well in Norman as well, basically for the same reasons, similar. And yeah. I've been playing a lot of St. Hubert's Key in Norman, Yeah, and that takes him down to a six sanity Yeah, because of St. Hubert's Key, but gives him the same boost. And this is too cheaper than the Hubert's Key, and if you can get it charged up, it's providing the same boost and giving you a sanity bonus, which, yeah... I like absolutely. I think that that's that's a that's an astute observation, and I think it, it's. I never think about Norman because I've never played him. I haven't played him yet. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. But th- those five mystic level zero mystic slots he's got are uh, at a premium. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. if you can find seeker cards which replicate the effect the effect of a mystic card you might have taken, that gives you some more flexibility. Yeah. For what it's worth, I think yeah. you're probably mostly worth taking the key over the rosary in Norman anyway. Yeah. But yeah. this is just another option. And, you know, what's Norman using his hand slots for? Magnifying, Magnifying glass, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Fingerprint kit. Yeah. 
And just before we go further on with investigators, I think there's another couple of things I want to just touch on really briefly. One is the subtlety of the fact that it gives you plus one sanity rather than that it creates a horror soak. Yeah. Because that means if you're taking direct horror for, for say, Daisy, if you're moving horror off the Necronomicon, this puts her at a 10 sanity. It doesn't give her somewhere else to put horror, which is a, it's a subtle thing, but I think that's worth just bearing in mind. There's a difference between three or more evidence this card gains one horror soak and three or more evidence you the investigator gets plus one sanity which i like yeah and uh, and just before you move on uh it, it also yeah. uh, it, it it negatively combos with or nonbos with cards like the desperate cards mm-hmm. so i yeah. we won't talk about every single investigator but i you know the stat boosts means it wouldn't be bad in someone like pete yeah, uh, with a willpower and an intellect boost, but then a lot of people like those desperate cards in Pete because Pete starts mm. with a low sanity and he has sanity soak in play in the shape of Duke. So yeah. that might make the, triggering those things a bit more difficult. Yeah, you have to think a little bit more carefully about that, don't you? Yes, yeah. I suppose maybe you could stop triggering its reaction. You could trigger it twice and then not. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. Not getting the full use. Yeah, because yeah. uh, so reactions are always optional anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So then the other thing I want to touch on is how easy is it to actually trigger this and get this charged up? And of course, in solo, you could potentially charge this up in in a turn or maybe a couple of turns because most locations have a single clue or maybe two. And this, it's limited once per game at each location, but it's not limited per turn. So you could potentially investigate getting a clue, move, investigate getting a clue, and that's you're up to two evidence then straight away. You'd obviously have had to play the camera first. But yeah, that to me gets me quite excited about how quickly it can charge up. And if you're playing in four player, that's not the same speed. You know, getting four clues twice is going to take longer. What do you think about that? It very much depends on the makeup of your party and your precise build. Mm. This is it, It's a very prickly card to try and analyse from this point of view. So I'll just pick two investigators off the top of my head. Uh, Ursula yeah. doesn't like staying in one place and discovering all the clues in that location. She'll be mm. bouncing around different locations. Of course, she might circle back to the first locations to get the remaining clues. Or someone else might come in with a trick at that point to pick up the last the last couple of clues. Yeah, Maybe she gets less use out of this unless you've built her a certain way. But then again, I think about someone like Min, and once Min has in the know an analytical mind out... She quite likes staying in one place or moving less than other seekers would. If that's mm-hmm. if that's the build you're going down with Min, but what Min can do is if someone goes in uses right of seeking to get two or three clues in the location, she picks up the last one and yeah doesn't charge up this because it has to be your <laughs> it has location. to be your location yeah. yeah so weird I think <laughs> yeah yeah Ursula could have run off from locations and someone is doing mop up after her yeah it doesn't help. Or maybe Ursula's the one doing the mop-up and she's getting the charge, yeah. But if you've got it's, a party with strange. It, with Rex, Rex absolutely likes standing in one place and finding all the clues there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're running Rex, you'd probably get this charged up pretty quick. And if you've got Rex at your party, everyone else is probably running pretty light on clue-finding cards. I was, I was going to say as well, the subtlety of this card is, again, it's after the last clue is discovered from your location, not after you discover it. Yeah. And that, you know, that's worth bearing in mind. Maybe maybe uh, Roland kills an enemy at a location where Rex is and gets the last clue. Yeah. 
Rex still gets the boost on the Hawkeye folding camera. Well, let, let's come on to that in a second. Okay. Just finish okay. what you were saying about Rex and the clue cards. Oh, it was, was that it? Yeah, that was it. And that, and that, you know, that, that classic Rex play, you turn up in a location, you go, I'm going to get eight clues this turn, and maybe you get seven. It, that still doesn't cost him the evidence because someone else could do mop up and get the last one. Yeah. Yeah, he's not going, don't take that clue, I need it for my camera. He's going, yeah, if you if you want to get one, you schmucks, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, in that Rexy way. That dovetails into the other thing that we wanted to talk about with this card, which is mm. we've seen three cards so far this cycle, which have similar but not identical reaction abilities on them. Or, or, yeah, or, or, we assumed or they were condition. the same. But I, I, well, yeah, I thought two of them were the same, and one of them was different. <laughs> Actually, all three are different. We're talking about connect the dots, which allows you to find two clues at another location, but you have to play that after you discover the, the last clue at a location. The second card we're going to talk about is one from the secret name. So if you've not yet listened to my first look or not yet seen those cards, skip ahead 30 seconds now, or indeed skip ahead to halfway through this episode when we stop talking about it. And so that one is play after an investigator discovers the last remaining clue at your location. It doesn't have to be you. Yes, that's cracked the case. That's cracked the case. Yeah. Cracked the case, incidentally, I think is a fantastic card. I have not listened to your first look yet, but I hope you're as enthusiastic about this card as I am. That's it's yeah. a really, really good card. And I think one of the things it does is it offers a solid resource card for seekers, which they've not, in terms of resource economy, they've not had as many of yet, aside from the ubiquitous Milan. Maybe what we see is if Seekers can mm. pack, uh, crack the case and something like the Hawkeye camera or, you know, other intellect boosts, maybe we can move away from Sigma Lan in every deck and we get some variety into that, that ally slot. We've also got Death, as we've talked about in the past. Those cards are all nice for replacing those ubiquitous allies at the Beat Cop and Milan and all that kind of stuff. So if you're a new player joining Arkham Horror with this cycle, you could be playing the Hawkeye Folding Camera, Crack the Case, Death, is it 13? Death 13, the Tarot, and be relying on them for your economy and your intellect boosts. And this this player card from the core set, Dr. Milan Christopher, who's that, just doesn't get a look in. You know, you could be playing a, <laughs> yeah, a, he's awful. A, seek, a different Seeker ally as well. We've got a slightly odd one coming up. I think in the Wages of Sin as well. So, yeah, you might do... Yeah. Oh, you might you might have got one from, from an off-class, you know, maybe uh, Daisy wants to run Milan. Uh, not Milan, uh, the other one, Renfield. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe Roland runs the camera and whatever else. With the camera and yeah. beat pop, you're getting plus one power, plus one intellect, plus one sound. That starts to look really impressive. Yeah. I, I know we're not talking about it, but crack the case. I, I think there's there's been quite a few good Roland cards out this cycle. Maybe there's an overlap between good Roland cards and good Joe cards. So what have people been saying around crack the case? Is it genuinely an alternative to Dr. Milan Christopher? And does the Hawkeye boost its value? That's a lot of different I questions d- for you to answer. <laughs> well, I think... So I'm in the middle. So I've I've been seeing people talk about crack the case. Also, mm. I've known what's coming in this card as well. Yeah, I think... So Milan was... He's drip economy, what we'd call drip economy. So you get a little bit every turn, or sometimes quite a lot every turn, if you're doing a lot of investigating. And he works particularly well if you're mm-hmm. pumping that money back into something like higher education. With someone like Roland, you might find Roland wants to play a lot of cards earlier on in a more typical Guardian manner. 
he wants to get set up with his weapons and potentially his tools. So a burst economy to put him up earlier on in the game might be mm-hmm. better than economy drip economy throughout the game. If you put down Milan first turn as Roland, it's going to be a few turns before you can mm. realistically afford something like a machete or a forty-five. And he needs to be investigating successfully yeah. to do that. Which is slightly counterintuitive to how Roland sometimes likes to get clues, which is killing things. Yeah, killing things, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's good. Basically, I think we'll see some more... We'll see Milan focus more in the academic-type decks, in, in the decks that do a lot of investigating, because there's a lot of other options mm. now to bolster yeah. your economy. Yeah, and bolster Seeker. your intellect. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it, it, yeah. it should lead to diversity. Is, is basically what I'm trying I'm to say. I'm going to talk about this later on. Actually, about I'm I'm instituting uh, a little ban list for myself, and Doctor Milan is is on there. And actually, what I want is other cards that provide intellect boosts and other cards that provide economy that do it in a different way. And that's what's been so striking for me with Crack the Case and with the Hawkeye Folding Camera. They're slightly more challenging to get to trigger, and they work in a slightly different way, but they open up design space I, I really you know i always bang on about how happy i am when cards do slightly different things like how sad would it be if the hawkeye was pay two or pay three say and you get all of these boosts and maybe they, it just lasts for a little while like this idea that you're going out and taking photographs of locations and that's giving you more willpower and that's making you more knowledgeable about what's going on i love it i think that's yeah that's really decent so yeah, I think it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a flavor win for me. Yeah, is there anyone else you'd like to see this? Any sort of off-class seekers, or even people who can just take seeker cards but aren't seekers that it might work well in? Because I don't know if Finn wants plus one willpower necessarily. Yeah, that's that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I I tend to think cards. This does strike me as a good off-class card. Uh, I've already mentioned Pete. I think someone like Jenny might quite like this as well. Mm-hmm. Turns Jenny into a a four four three three. Yep. If you're going down a more seeking Jenny route, mm-hmm. I think the fingerprint kit works really well in her as well. So you could you maybe take. It depends how much you want to use your guns, obviously in in, in Jenny because you're using up a hand slot for the camera. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think yeah, Jenny Woods one that that sprung to mind for me. Mm. Maybe if you're running like a seeking focus mystic as well, Marie. Marie fits well. Maybe uh, a, a Joe build, uh, not Joe, a Jim build. Sorry, uh, that that's looking at more clues. And actually, you know, we've we've heard as we were recording this, Frank. Yeah, <laughs> there might be another card coming in the next pack which supports a more seeking focused or clue finding focused mystic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people can <laughs> people can discover that for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hint: it's been announced. Yes, <laughs> on on the podcast that that shall not be named. Mm-hmm. You haven't heard the first look yet. I slagged them off heavily, so don't worry. Brilliant, our honours. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's the Hawkeye. I, the more we talk about it, the more you think, okay, that you know exactly. I hadn't thought of Jim. I thought of Marie. You you throw it in there. Joe as well gets uh, hand slots for tools once he has his weapons out, and this boosting up his willpower and sanity. That takes him to three willpower and seven sanity, which is actually quite nice. And the intellect yeah. is maybe less valuable for him, but still still decent. You know, he, he probably likes it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's already got, even just at the at a first blush, it's got, you know, it, it, it works in a seeker who likes to do a bit of spelling and a mystic who likes to do a bit of cluing. Yeah, 
yeah. uh, which which is quite a large number of investigators, and it's also two two distinct boosts on one card, mm. Mm. which is always powerful. What's the other the cheapest card other than this that gives two boosts? I think Peter Sylvester level two, right? Yeah, who boosts. we've already talked about. He's he's an amazing card, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Possibly slightly undercosted. Yeah. And you you also look at something like Lola Santiago. Yeah. Three cost, three XP. Yeah. Also a fantastic card. Yeah. Definitely not undercosted. <laughs> Don't you dare change the cost, Matt Neiman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So both both of those cards are expensive. Well, I mean, they're more expensive than this and cost a lot of experience to put in your deck. Yeah. And use up uh, a unique slot. Yeah. So that should maybe give you an idea that double stat boosting cards are good. Yeah. The, I love that the hidden cost, the hidden expense for this card is how quickly you can clear locations. Yeah. And that seems a really nice, different way of testing investigators. You know, if it goes wrong and you end up leaving clues on final locations because you're running from some enemy, the camera is useless to you. You've paid two. Well, there's quite a cool idea there of like everyone else is trying to get out and uh, Joe's at the last location just no 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 I just have to take a picture of it before yeah. before we go yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's something else to be found here I'm sure no Joe come on yeah. it's coming we've got to get out the train is literally being sucked into the sky <laughs> and you're taking photographs yeah. cool okay well that is the Hawkeye folding camera coming up in the wages of sin thanks again to FFG for sending it to us to announce to the community and to all of you community folk out there, let us know what you think of it. I'll try and add it to Arkham DB as soon as I can, so you can see it. Yeah, fun, thank you. One, I'm really looking forward to trying in some decks, I think. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Speaking of decks that you've been trying recently, have you played any Arkham at all? Uh, I think you know I have, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last weekend, we had our first joint Drawn to the Flame event. Yeah. That we did together. We've been banging about it for ages, so I'm surprised that someone's come to this episode and doesn't know about it. Arkham in Flames. Yeah. So we ran a big event down in London. About 70 people showed up. Yeah. Thereabouts. Uh, and played a load of Arkham. Two days of Arkham. And we drank quite a lot of beer as well. Yeah. Sometimes at the same time. <laughs> mostly not at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> mostly not at the same time. Yeah. And it was so much fun. So what we wanted to do was just do a bit of a breakdown of what we thought about it. And also we've talked to, we sent out a, a survey to everyone who came as well. And we'll go through that a bit. Hopefully when, even if you didn't come, you might, you'll get something out of listening to us talk about it. Yeah. Uh, we'll try and include some alchemy details to make it worthwhile. And I, I've listened to those episodes before where people are gushing about an event that they're at or that they've just been to. And it can feel a little bit alienating if you weren't there. So I think, Part of why I want to talk about it is there's been quite a lot of talk about will we do another one? And I think reflecting on the process and thinking quite carefully about the feedback we've got is really important for deciding that and sharing a little bit of our conversation we hope is worthwhile. Uh, The other thing to note is that I think... Are are we we going to do another one, Frank? The other thing to note, Peter, yeah, (laughs) to avoid that question... Um, Good question. When I was being asked at the time, I really didn't want to answer. My feeling is that, you know, we we even branded some of the stuff we gave out as Arkham in Flames 2019 rather than just Arkham in Flames. And the idea being that we wanted to try and make something that was sustainable that we could could do again. And my feeling now, a week after the fact, is I would like to try and do it again. But 
Oh, God, really? Yeah, I was just about to say, but I've never said that to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, I know. And I, I, I sprung that question on you deviously yeah. as we've got people listening. It is quite a long... Like, if we do it in a year's time, that's... Who knows? We might have stopped the podcast by then. Uh, the game might have been cancelled. The big game might have been cancelled, yeah. yeah. We might have faced a worldwide ecological breakdown. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm in a similar position to you, you Frank. I didn't, I didn't want to commit to anyone at the time, but it was always in the back of my mind that we'd set this up as an annual thing that could happen. Yes, yeah. Depending on how this went. And I think we've learned a lot... There was a, we did a lot of learning as we planned it. Mm-hmm. I've done I've run one similar event, but that's a competitive event, mm-hmm. and it, in a way, there's a structure dictated there, which makes it a lot easier. You've done smaller events of for a cooperative game, mm-hmm. so we both learned a lot, I think, during the planning of it, and it would maybe make the process a bit smoother next time. Yeah, absolutely. I would be up for doing it again. Cool, good. I'm but not confirming it. it. We're just yeah. we're just saying we would be interested. Yes, yeah. One option that we talked about vaguely way back when we were thinking about it was that London wouldn't host the next one, and that we could do it yeah. somewhere else. And one of the things that I've been looking at with the feedback is was London a good location, and did it work yeah. for people? One of the things I didn't really appreciate in planning it, but actually happened quite a lot, was that even though we had events on the Friday night, all of Saturday, the Saturday evening, and Sunday, some people just came for Saturday. And London's quite good for allowing someone to come in on the train, play Arkham for the day, not even stay for the evening. And they still get all of the loot from the event. They get to do labyrinths in Epic Multiplayer, but then they can go home or travel back to where they were. So even though London's expensive, at least it's well connected. And if we were to do an Arkham in Flames where we like booked out a hotel in the middle of nowhere and did everything was sort of handled in one space, that might be less easy for people to reach and therefore they'd need to commit for more time so yeah that's been sort of floating around in my head yeah yeah I, what i don't want to do and not to criticize you frank i don't want to get too drawn into planning what we would do on a future event mm. but i'll stress feedback from people who were there and who might come to a future event that's really really helpful to us because all we can do and in fact our driving philosophy behind the podcast and the event was doing something we would enjoy yeah yeah, because we saw a, a, a gap for that. It seems to have chimed with what other people enjoy, but knowing that it's something other people would want is really crucial for us So to help us plan it better. Yeah, I want to jump on something you said there. This is why this episode is also going out to everyone and not just the people who attended. If you couldn't make it for a particular reason and you want to let us know, that would be great because maybe, you know, maybe we'd hear from 20 people saying it was too expensive for us or the location wasn't good, or whatever it is. And that yeah. that feedback is valuable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Our survey is already a biased sample because it's it's gone out to people who've already been to an event like this. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But do, do you want to do what we thought about first, or should we go through some of the, the specific feedback we've got already? I'll, I'll say what I thought first, so then it can be like delightfully undercut by the feedback. I felt like, <laughs> yeah, <God. laughs> we, I felt like we smashed it, and... Even though there were little things that I would definitely change, my overall impression was that arriving at the pub on Friday night, people were smiling and delighted to be there and excited. And then on Saturday, the vibe in Darksphere was just so positive. Like people were queuing to get in in the morning and excited to get playing. There was so much kind of goodwill and that carried straight on through to the Saturday night. A couple of people have said they've never laughed so hard at the pub quiz, which was 
I hope was your intention, Peter. And yeah. And he's just claiming that. And then Sunday was obviously a bit more of a relaxed day, but that was also great, I think, to see people just jumping on a table, grabbing people to play with, having a go at it. It's a bit more madcap, I'd say, because we deliberately organised the Sunday less thoroughly. Yeah. And my overriding feeling was just, we smashed it. It felt good. So yeah, that's that's me. How about for you? Yeah, I, I think, like you, there's some stuff which, on reflection, we, we could have done differently. Uh, someone in the feedback has actually has specifically said, you've always got to brace yourself when you read feedback mm. because you've put a lot of love into the event. And obviously everyone everyone who's filled in the feedback so far has liked the event, even though they've been critical of elements of it. This was the first event we, we've done, and really there's stuff we couldn't have known until we'd put our money where our mouth was and, and, and run an event. Mm. However, for me, the stuff that landed well, I think, was the stuff that was important to me personally, which is the, the social side of stuff, was meeting new people, uh, was talking to them, understanding where everyone's coming from in playing Arkham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've got a lot of thoughts about that now. It's been really, really good meeting everyone. And actually, the other the other overriding emotion, so I did a, a post up on our Patreon page. And I think, actually, that's, I don't think I've locked it for patrons okay great. so i think everyone everyone could, everyone could probably read it there, there was an element of weirdness for me uh and i was messaging you on the train back feeling kind of overwhelmed by the whole experience because like me and you sit down every week or two weeks or whatever and, and record these podcasts sometimes for and I sp- sometimes monthly sometimes for night sometimes monthly uh, and i speak to you a lot outside the game i, I message you we speak on the phone uh, we don't see each other that often mm-hmm. but it's always lovely when we do we sort of because we've spoken so much, when we meet in person, we just fall into a, a natural kind of friendly <laughs> friendly mode between us, I think. Mm, I'd agree. And I've always known other people listen to this in the abstract. And obviously, I've been on the Discord and chatting to some of the people who did listen to this. But then to be confronted with a crowd of like 40 or 50 people who know my voice and and things about me intimately without me having met them, it was a very strange experience. Not not a negative one at all. It was really, really good. And it's grounded the whole thing in a bit more reality for me. Mm. And I think that was that was the feeling of being a bit overwhelmed. That all this time, these people were out there listening to me and I, I had no idea. Yeah, they're real people now, right? They are, yeah. And I'm right now, listener, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you're a real person, <laughs> listener. You're a real person. And, you know, it's, it's really, really good. It's, it was so good to meet people, even if, like, it was a lot to take in at once. Mm. Mm. Those are my two overriding feelings, really. Oh, positive. They're good. Good feelings, I think. It was yeah, nice yeah. as well. You know, we, we ran labyrinths on Saturday morning and we had five separate labyrinths running including two labyrinths that were mono teams. So each table was only one faction. That seemed to be insanely good. Like just everyone playing labyrinths, having a run around. I think only one person died, which is pretty good. And, you know, I've run labyrinths before. The most I've done is three to see five happening, 60 people all playing labyrinths at the same time. So cool. So fun. Yeah. Can we mention one of, a few people have mentioned the same moment as one of the highlights from the weekend. Can can I, can I share it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in one of the teams, I'll leave them nameless. <laughs> they can they can they can admit to this if they want. But so I, I won't spoil Labyrinths if you haven't played it. But but you you have to share information between the teams. Yeah. And not getting the right information or the right items can sometimes be fatal. 
Yeah. And at one point, one team needed a particular information, had asked the other team, who I believe didn't know the bit of information. Yeah. So someone on the team just guessed. Without saying they were <laughs> guessing. Did, without saying they were guessing, passed the information to the other team. They assumed it was right, <laughs> used that information. Luckily, it was right. Yeah. But it would have ended up, if it hadn't been right, with the entire team being killed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think there was some slapped foreheads all around when they found out later on the person had just guessed what was the right answer. Yeah, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. A personal bro moment for me, we were playing Return to Night of the Zealot and I was playing with two people I've never played with before. One person I have, again, remaining nameless. And we sat down to play Return to Midnight Masks and got all six cultists. And I think that's the second time I've ever done that. And that felt like... Wow, these people know what they're doing. I was just, I was yeah, more or yeah. less the passenger in that. I was doing a track shoes fin and running around Arkham, scooping up clues and things like that. I've published a, a deck of it on Arkham DB if you want to look for Arkham in Flames fin. Just, I'd thrown the deck together in only if. You should have mentioned you managed to get six cultists on Midnight Masks, Frank. I mean. Yeah, you know, I like to be humble ca- about this kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I, as well, I'd not played in Labyrinths because I was, I was doing all, I was actually doing some work in the morning rather than playing Labyrinths, Peter. So it was nice to you, see. You think, you think, you think making your way out of a fiendish Labyrinth is, is, uh, you know, relaxation. You think we enjoy yeah, that, yeah? yeah? yeah that yeah. was difficult, Frank. You put, you put the hours in that morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just, I was like the coach. I kept bringing you and Benjamin water and, and snacks and things to keep you going. Yeah. The, like, the, the go another round. You could do it. You could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Duck and weave. Exactly. Yeah, no, the, I, I was very pleased about getting six cultists. So that feels like a nice badge of honour to get, particularly in the high pressure situation of my mum turning up, which was also awesome. Yeah. <laughs> my mum turned up at Arkham in Flames to see She's what your right. harshest Ar- Arkham critic as well, isn't she? Yeah, she listens to about five or six seconds of each episode before turning <laughs> off. So, yeah, yeah. That was, that was really cool. And that was... We got some feedback from people who weren't Arkham players, from my mum and from my wife, Andrea, who both said they'd come into Darksphere and it was this amazing positive vibe and people were up for chatting to them and just generally celebrating. And as someone who regularly plays at Darksphere, sometimes you go in and there's a bunch of players playing a very popular game made by Wizards of the Coast who don't want anything to do with anyone else and, yeah, live up to the stereotype of being rude. So... That was really cool as well to kind of transform Darksphere for a weekend into this joyous celebration of a depressing game. Yeah. Depressing in the best way. You know, horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, it's worth mentioning we went to the pub on all three nights. So the Friday, the night, Saturday night, and the Sunday night. Mm. By far, most people managed to make it along on the Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and I know from previous events, that was something I was really keen to to organise or, or, you know, just to, to get people together and, and, and share in what we're doing. And I think that was really successful as well. Everyone seemed to have a good time. show was slightly stolen, first of all, by the most ridiculous game show on ITV. Yeah. Which, the end of which was on the TVs before we turned them off and started the quiz. Yeah. And also the fact that the most well-received round on the quiz was the one I had almost nothing to do with. <laughs> because we, we asked our, our respective wives to fill in the answers to. Yeah. So they described a series of cards and we would read out these descriptions and, and the, the contestants in the quiz had to guess which card they were describing. Maybe we should read out yeah. a couple now for listeners that they can do. I think Gandalf with a gun 
was one of yeah, my Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Which, what What's card is Gandalf with a gun? Yeah. Yeah, the other one was, uh, was it Nerdy Frank sitting next to a sewing machine that's about to explode? Yeah, that one's good as well. <laughs> that, was, that was one of my favourites. I really like that one. Yeah. And the, what was the controversial one? Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't even want to say. Okay. This is my fault. This is my fault. Because the, there's two cards of very similar art. Yeah. <laughs> and the descrip- description given exactly describes both cards. So Vicky described the, she had no idea about the other card. Yeah. <laughs> she described, you know, the card I was intending and I didn't spot that her description applied equally to both. So it was a guessing game, <laughs> which isn't very fun in a quiz where there's prizes on the line. So I apologize for that. I see what I should have done next time. Um. <laughs> I don't think you should be, I don't think you should be critical about it. I love those quiz red herrings. And what I particularly like about it yeah. is the card that it describes is a new hotness card. No, the card that it describes is a card that barely anyone plays. Yeah. And the card that most people thought it was was a new hotness card. And I thought that was really good. Like, that's a real yeah. good red herring quiz question, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the Saturday night was, uh, just to second what you were saying, it was great fun. Really good to get time to just chat to people, particularly as I was then, I was sort of off duty. I wasn't organising anything. Great to encourage people to plan what they wanted to play on the Sunday. That was quite important to me that it wasn't about you and me, Peter, just completely controlling everything people played. It was about allowing people to do what they want and to allow people to say, oh, you know, do you fancy doing Depths of Yoth tomorrow, whatever it is. So I played uh, Return to Dunwich. I played two scenarios with patrons the following day which was really cool and then i also played threads of fate with three other players we just dived in to play it what surprised me then about that which is what i mentioned earlier in the episode when we were still talking about the hawkeye folding camera was i threw together an ursula deck with higher education and dr milan and i was playing with another player who was playing preston and we ended up racing for resources. I was generating so many resources as Ursula with Milan. I got him in my opening hand. And Preston generates lots of resources. We actually had this little rivalry going on about who had more resources. Oh, yeah. And I've got to be honest, it felt a little bit dirty doing the Milan higher ed <laughs> thing. And afterwards, yeah. I reflected on it and thought, for my own play, I think I'm not going to run higher ed in Milan for a while now. I'd thrown it together because I just was like, oh, I've got to play Ursula. What will I do? That That's a strong deck. And it felt so strong that, yeah, it just left a little bit of an unpleasant taste in my mouth. So the reason I'm saying that is, a, you know, you can play with whatever rules you like for this game if you want to. And within my household now, which is I'm the only person who plays here, I will be probably avoiding playing Rex, as I have been anyway. And then Milan and Higher Ed, I think, are going to take a bit of a breather until uh, until I, you know, feel like I really want to get it out and smash it. Maybe a higher difficulty or or something like that. So yeah, that that's fair enough, actually. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, one of the other things I wanted to mention was it was fun to see one of the Labyrinth teams. So one of the mono, mono Labyrinth teams was a rogue team, and they comboed their final turn, and on the final enemy. I think it's a spoiler to say there's like a there's like a boss enemy. Mm-hmm. They managed to do 68 damage between four players in a single round, which was achieved by everyone playing their own pocket watch. Yeah, in sequence. Or, or I think that yeah, they, they won every turn. Um, <laughs> although obviously they absolutely destroyed the scenario, and I think all, most of the mono teams destroyed it as a, a kind of academic exercise. It was fun to see them really like almost break the game <laughs> yeah. in terms of what they could do. They definitely need to play on hard next time. We're going to have to insist on that. A few people did say they should have played on hard. Yeah. 
that will be definitely something I would change next time is asking people, have you played on Labyrinths before? Are you What kind of a challenge do you want? Because there were a couple of people who asked me, can we play on hard? And I said, ask your team. And then it was a case of the team going, oh, I'm not sure about that. And actually those players who really like to plan ahead and really make the most of meeting new players, they maybe wanted more of a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's something else that I love about an event like this where you see all the diversity, but it's one of your play experiences. You've got to talk about the Ghoul Priest. Oh, yeah. That was just, this was um, Rob Millwood, is he yeah. called? Yeah, that's Rob. Yeah, yeah so, so, so Rob was in my, my team for the first round of the hot seating and the gathering. And we had Jim, Rita, Ursula and Preston. And Rob was playing Ursula. And between us, we'd managed to fetch Lita and bring her back to the lounge. And we're all there wailing on the, the ghoul priest. I managed to do a storm of spirits nice. while Lita was in place. I did three damage to all the enemies there and cleared out a load of enemies. Nice. And then Rob attacks the ghoul priest with his second action, doing two damage, taking it to 19 damage. And then he says, oh, and I'll spend my last action to do another damage. And I said, oh, how are you doing that? And he said, oh, I played Kukri. I hadn't noticed he played Kukri. Like, jaws dropped around the table. Like, I think Chris, who was on our table, said he'd never seen someone play it, let alone complete a scenario using it. Let alone kill the ghoul priest with a Kukri kill. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. It makes me laugh now again, a week later. So good. So, yeah, absolutely amazing scenes. I have no idea how I managed to hit the ghoul priest as Ursula with one combat. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I guess I just, who knows? Plus one for the cookery, think... plus one for Lita. He's still one below. Yeah, he must have had a, yeah. a bunch of cards to chuck in. Put, yeah. Well, there we go. Anyway, um, should we move on to talking a bit more about the feedback we've yes. got so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sent out a form earlier this week. Mm-hmm. I don't know when this episode will be coming out, Frank. It's coming out on Thursday, all being well. As of the time of recording, we've got about 15 responses. If some have come in while we're recording, I haven't looked at them yet. And yeah, they're really helpful. So if you haven't done it yet, please do, Mm, because that helps us. Everyone who's responded has been really positive. A couple of key themes have come up. Maybe three key key points have come up, and we'll go through them in turn, if that's okay. Do you want me to just reel them off? Yeah. So the first one was the venue. This is kind of tied to the second point. Darksphere, we picked Darksphere, which is a, a game store and gaming location in London in a railway arch. The railway noise was one thing that was mentioned. There's a few other things mentioned about Dark Sphere. The fact it was was quite cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it only had one toilet. Which we knew, yeah. Tables were relatively cramped mm-hmm. um, in terms of space to play. And yeah, this, this all, we, we knew that that was going to be the case. The benefit of us using Dark Sphere was that no matter how many players signed up, we'd be able to afford the venue. Yeah, yeah. Because they were charging by the player which yeah. worked out really well for us when we were just doing this blind. Yeah. And the staff were all really helpful and accommodating, actually. They just let us let us take take over the place. And they gave us a very good rate as well. It's worth, worth adding, that was part of it, was that another yeah. venue I looked at in a similar location had less space but bigger tables, but the cost per player was going to be nearly double, if yeah. not more. And that was a little bit scary. What we can do in the future, because we know how many people are going to be there, we could look at like a bigger venue that had a fixed cost because it's it's a hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something it's certainly something we can investigate next time. Yeah. Yeah, there was reasons for us going for Dark Sphere and, and they, they were really helpful to us. And also they had the merchandise there. I don't know, a few people went straight in and were like, oh my God, they've got, you know, this book that I haven't got yet. Yeah. I'm buying that straight away. They had the Deep Gate on sale. 
you the know? deep gate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other thing was we were limited by the opening hours of Dark Sphere. Mm-hmm. So over the weekend we were on playing for as long as Dark Sphere was open, effectively. Yeah. So we did what was it, ten till six? Yeah. On the Saturday, and then eleven till five, five o'clock ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone was sort of just ready, ready for a rest after that, anyway. But just because of how Arkham works, you know, sometimes the last hour, you know, if you finish an hour before the closing time, you've not really got enough time to set up another game. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it meant that some people only got really like two longish games in over that over the day. Yeah. And I know if you go to a convention, you know, you could be playing up till midnight. So yeah, that, that was, it was, were we aware that that was a limitation and it's something we definitely look at next time whether we do another half a day somewhere or we find a venue that's got longer hours or a more comfortable venue yeah yeah we would do that and we think then about what impact that has on the kind of socializing side of it as well because obviously we weren't going to stay and have meals at dark sphere but maybe a yeah. different venue where you can play until eight or nine you can then just walk around the corner and grab food because it's all the same place say yeah you know, or or yeah, if you've finished playing at six and you don't want to play another scenario, you're not leaving the venue to go somewhere. You have something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The the other thing is that I think Darksphere could could alter their opening hours for us if I asked very nicely, and they did open an hour early on both days for us. Right. But I reckon we could push that even more and see. Yeah. You know, if that was what we decided we wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the benefit of something like a hotel would be that there's access to the gaming space throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even if we're doing, if we've got set socializing events, you know, we could, we could still, people can play up till for however long they want. Yeah. So yeah, that's a fair point that had been raised by people. And one we'll be looking at to see what we can do. Uh, The other major one was around. So what we've asked people, what games they played in, I think by far the most common was the hot seating. Mm. So this was an idea where you we played through the return to the Night of the Zealot and every scenario you moved round the table and we set up the... F- oh, well, you set up the first rounds, Frank. Mm-hmm. But after that point, we, we kind of let people fend for themselves. Yeah. And I think a lot of people felt it took them a while to get going on the second day in that event. Yeah. After the first round, people were taking a bit of a loose approach to the organisation of it. Some people did both games. Some people were a game behind. And when it came to the second day, you know, some people weren't at the second day, so you couldn't, they couldn't join groups. I think everyone got to play at least, whether they got to continue their scenario or continue their campaign or whether they were playing with the right people. I don't think we got there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, if we were doing it again, we would arrange slots for that and you could sign up for it and then potentially do the whole thing on one day. Mm. It was a big experiment in so many ways to see if it worked and see if people were up for it. And everyone was up for it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a success on that count. The concept was still fine, I think. But yeah, I would now, like, if I were to do it again this weekend, say I'm not, but I would be really clear about when each round starts, or by round, I mean each scenario. So, say, first scenario starts at 10 a.m., second at 1 p.m., third at 4 p.m., yeah. say, so people know. And then assign people to groups as well. Yeah, yeah. So there were a couple of things that made it a little bit of a a mishmash. One was that Labyrinths finished. I didn't want to enforce time on Labyrinths because I wanted people to have a fun time with Labyrinths, which meant one group in particular finished quite late, finished about 90 minutes after you'd expect them to finish. 
So that yeah. was one thing. We were starting late, so people were hanging on to that. We had the, the closing of the venue coming up on us pretty fast, which was tricky. And I definitely would have commun I wanted to, it to be fairly relaxed about what you could play or couldn't play. But I think in future, I'd be much clearer. This is what's on offer. This is what I need people to provide. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to lay down the law in that way. But I think if I did it again, I would lay down the law a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my reaction to the feedback anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's that's all fine to be honest. Mm. I think everyone knows it's the first time we've done an event like this. Yeah, I think the, the the other thing that people seem to react really positively to was the depths of yoth type challenge. Mm-hmm. What I would be tempted to do in the future, Frank, is lay out some challenges just as a, a kind of an intro card. Yeah. So yeah. there's one organized event. If we do it on two days, there'd be an organized event on both days, and then around that you could pick up a challenge. You know, if you finished early, you pick up a challenge card and then you blast through that and see how well you can do. Mm. Or if there's one of the two organized events you don't want to play in, the second day or the other day, you do some challenges. Uh, maybe we do things like, you know, a particular scenario with a set a set of ultimatums. Yeah, yeah, like the designer challenges. Yeah, we've got lots of ideas for other stuff to do and we're working through some of them. So keep your ears peeled. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do to your ears? Pin back your ears? Pin back your ears. That's yeah. just running there, Pin back your ears. Yeah. <laughs> but at the heart of this, there's this kernel of channel challenge, which is how do you get a game that is played for one to four players cooperatively and apply it to an organized play setting, organized play in the loosest possible sense? And how do you offer challenge for players, a way of players meeting other players? How much or how little do you organize them? And then also with this game, how do you get everyone to bring the right amount of stuff? Like that was a real challenge that we didn't crack for Arkham in Flames and we didn't have any problems with it, but I'm really aware of it. If you turn up to an event to play a competitive game, you've brought your deck and you can play with it. But if you turn up to play at an Arkham event and all you've brought is one player deck, if no one else has bought anything, no one can play you know, you can look at yeah, each other's decks. Yeah. So I'd really like to get to the bottom of how that works. And I, exactly as you say, if maybe you're offering challenge scenarios, are the organizers bringing the challenge scenarios and they've they've made sure they have that? Are you communicating yeah. with all attendees way ahead so that everyone knows which parts they're bringing? There's just so much more organization that goes into getting those moving parts working. Yes, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It, it, and it's a difficult one. And if you're listening to this and you have a great idea... What about X or Y? What about this kind of spreadsheet? Whatever. Why don't you organise the event? Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> definitely go for it and organise it and let us know and we'll we'll try and attend if we can and we'll we'll share our knowledge with you. But also, if you want, if you have ideas, think things that you think are really obvious that we've missed, we want to know. Yeah. I think there's also a slightly more slippery problem. Mm. And actually, speaking to people at the event was one of the most useful things I did useful interesting interesting i say interesting <laughs> because it, it highlighted to me what a breadth of appeal the game has and i i, I said this in the, the patreon post that did it we actually had compared to other card game events i've been to and i know there was someone from asmodee who was there who, who said roughly the same thing it was quite a diverse crowd in terms of especially in terms of age we got a, we had a big range of people in terms of gender still more diverse than I was. I've been used to in other events, both of which are really good to see. Yeah, step in the right direction. Yeah, and not to say that there's something more we can't do, but but you know, 
really good to see. And what you, you don't want to do is kill the appeal of the game for anyone who's enjoying it for some other reason. Yeah. If if we're organising an event and we're like, yes, right, it's going to be really competitive. You know, you've got this team fighting against this team and, you know, there's going to be one winner. And someone who's really into it for a narrative or a or a cooperative, that's they're going to be like, well, I'm not interested in that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's great to see that the game has got such a broad appeal and there's lots of bits of it that appeal to different people. It does make it a bit of a headache for people organising events, though. Mm. Yeah. Because you want to keep keep all those people happy. Yeah, and the competitive template just doesn't work. Exactly as you've said, if we just follow the competitive template, say, turn up and play Arkham in a competitive way, who can get the lowest in depths of Yoth, who can do the most damage to uh, an enemy in one turn or whatever it is. If that is the only goal, that immediately alienates a bunch of players, which we don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was worth... It was, not that I'm saying that they don't enjoy that as well, but seeing the people do the stuff like the costumes was was so good. And actually, I've no. I spoke to a few people who said, "Ah, because someone's done it last time, I'm going to do it again next time." Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost worth Will there be arranging next the event. Time? Well, this is it. It's almost worth arranging it just to see some of the people who claim they'd be dressing up dress up. Yeah, yeah. I heard. Um, I heard uh, Peter Hopkins say that he was looking into. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I need to get a. I was trying to match my hair with an investigator, and I think it's only Lita and Silas that I could pull off. <laughs> Lita, yes, that was amazing. <laughs> Silas, you'd have to be topless for the whole day. I know, I know, and no one wants to see that really. <laughs> it's if anything, it's too attractive. It'll put people. <laughs> that's it. Well, yeah, yeah, powerful. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of a, a random mishmash of thoughts. Really, I, I think we we learned a lot doing it, and it was so much fun doing it. I was exhausted afterwards. I think my voice still hasn't quite recovered. <laughs> so if I'm sounding a bit croaky, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And amazing to see people come from as far as they did as well. So we had our super fan Nathan. Shout out to Nathan. Shout out to Nathan. What a guy! Came all the way from Oregon. Yeah which was incredible. Someone else came from America as well. Uh, we had people coming from all over Europe. There's people from Germany, from all over Scandinavia, which was just really good to see. And they were, I don't know whether all of them had communities as big as what we've got or what were at the event back in their home countries. Mm. So yeah. hopefully we've encouraged them to come again in the future. Yeah. So there are also some people that we thanked during the weekend, but we want to thank again now on air. First of all, Matt Newman at FFG and also Brooke and Nate at FFG have been really supportive throughout all of this, encouraging us to kind of go for it. So yeah, they've been great. We also got support from Asmodee UK in an unofficial way. It so pains they, they, to say they, it was unofficial. <laughs> yeah, their, their attendance was unofficial, but mm-hmm. I think they did send us some swag. Officially, yeah. Officially, yeah. yes, um, which we we gave out, and actually we we didn't have enough to go around everyone, but nearly everyone who didn't have the various bits got the bits. Yeah, and just to have that on top of what we were already offering as swag was was an amazing vote of confidence from them. And yes, thanks so much. We also had tokens from Buy the Same Token. If you haven't checked out their stuff, definitely do. They were attending and showing off all of their amazing acrylic stuff. And we also had tokens from Orbits, that's A-U-R-B-I-T-S, who's an American token maker, and he does these crazy, golden, wonderful chaos tokens and location connectors and things like that. So the, the buy the same token tokens were the ones that we gave away. So they're the, the four-part turn tracker tokens that mm-hmm. had the unique candle logo on them. Yeah. And I think actually someone got a sneaky prototype 
Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. There was a prototype. Did you know, did you know who got that? Or was uh, it just someone? Was it given out? I don't know. I thought we accidentally gave away one of the prototypes. Maybe we did. Maybe we did. Maybe yeah. we did. I know Benjamin has one. If you've got a double-sided one, it's an it's a extra special collector's item. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And keep an eye on their stuff. Yeah, well, we are looking looking at working with them to do more stuff as well because they're two really awesome guys and they do a lot of really good work and they've been really supportive of us. Yeah. Sending nice messages, giving us, you know, giving us stuff to, to look at and to help us. So please, please go and check out that stuff. And they do stuff for loads of games as well. So I've used some of their stuff for Kill Team, 40k Kill Team. They've got loads of X-Wing stuff as well. I'm sure Chris is eventually just going to build a house out of acrylic. Yeah. And live in that happily. <laughs> the house that acrylic built. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who else do we need to thank? Mark at the Dutchy Arms was incredible to work with. If you're looking yeah, yeah. for a pub to book, the Dutchy Arms was so good and helpful and friendly and energetic on the night. And he even uh, tried to upstage your speech on the night, which was did, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was he was energetic is the word I would use to describe him as well. Yeah. Duracell. That was really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to Andy Parsons, who is 6010 on our Discord. He made an Arkham Monikers game, which is a, a combination word-guessing charades-type game. Uh, and we the, the most competitive we got was when we had a Frank versus Peter round yeah. towards the end of the night. <laughs> that was something else. <laughs> which is yeah. so much fun. So much cheating from one team, definitely. Yeah, not I know, that, I know. Not but... that the losing team is bitter, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who else should we thank? Benjamin, our artist, the the secret third member of Drawn to the Flame. He did the poster design. He worked with By the Same Token on the token design. He came over for the event, was generally moral support and hype man for all of it. He yeah. designed the table logos. He set the letter we had from Matt Newman to make it look cool. He was just... Yeah all round anything that we needed help with he was there supporting yes. us and and just in the past few days he has set up our design by humans uh, web store so we'll start putting links to that if you want to buy official merch i guess you'd call it you can go there and they there's like t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and stuff like that not that we don't want people to make their own stuff because that's awesome they can but do, you know yeah. if you just just want to, to buy some official merch that's where you go and if you do that you're supporting us and you're also supporting benjamin because he gets a cut of the royalties so yes you know supporting someone who's passionate about their art and art for games is great heartily recommended there was lots of people who brought stuff uh, either for just the games so tokens and cards and things. There was people who brought their own custom scenarios. Uh, I know, well, a few people brought custom scenarios to mm-hmm. play. Yeah, Ian Reed bought this huge box campaign, which had its inbuilt player decks. Uh, and unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to try it. But that looked really cool. I don't know whether anyone. I think I think I saw someone playing it. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so uh, that was really cool. We had an anonymous benefactor give us uh, some Drawn to the Flame alt arts as well. So I think everyone got a couple of those. It was great. We had our own alt arts as well. Thank you to Florian for organising and designing those. Super cool. Thanks, mate. A lot of people just brought things for us to give away as well. Mm -hmm. And people just had tricks, little treats and things. Um, Yeah, playmats as well. Yeah, coloured stands. Someone had... Some of our books that we gave away. There was uh, some dividers we got to give away. Mm. Loads of bits and bobs. People just brought. Thank you to all everyone who just gave us stuff to. Uh, hopefully, we we found good homes for pretty much all the swag. Yeah, thank you. Super generous. 
And thank you, finally, if you turned up, if you came, if you took a punt on our first event of this magnitude and supported us with it and were there being one of those people delighting in the game. So cool. So good. Still happy about it. Yeah. You couldn't have been happier with the people I met, really. Just a really, really, really nice community and one I'm proud to be part of. Great. We've gone on long enough about that, I think. So if you want to email us about events, about how we can be better, feedback, any other comments, or about the Hawkeye folding camera and what we think about how Seekers are developing, you can email us on drawntotheflamepodcast at gmail.com. We're Drawn to the Flame on Twitter and Facebook, and you can also think about becoming a patron and supporting us so that we can do more things like Arkham in Flames and these podcast episodes. For that, it's patreon.com forward slash Drawn to the Flame. Maybe you want to support us by buying a Drawn to the Flame t-shirt or an Arkham in Flames t-shirt. Go to www.designbyhumans.com, that's designbyhumans.com forward slash shop forward slash Drawn to the Flame. Or just go to designbyhumans.com and search for Drawn to the Flame and you'll be able to spot our logo. We've got hoodies, t-shirts, Arkham and Flames t-shirts, Drawn to the Flame stickers and Drawn to the Flame mugs. So if you need a new token shaker, it can go in a Drawn to the Flame mug. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Reddit a little bit at the moment. And I'm on Discord uh, with that name. So say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm uh, FB on Twitter, that's E-P-H underscore B-E-E, and I'm Zooey Glass on Discord. Similarly, come say hi, talk to me about what decks you've built, all of that sort of thing. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. We need to do a recording, a generic recording of that end bit. And just put it in. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>